Hey there, this is Nathan Agin with The Working Actor's Journey, and today we have a special Q&A episode with dramaturg Gideon Rappaport. Now, a quick bio on Gideon. He is San Diego's premier Shakespearean dramaturg. He has worked as an English, humanities, and Shakespeare teacher in high school, college, graduate school, and professional theater. He's the author of the forthcoming book, A Shakespeare Companion for Students. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what a dramaturg does, that's partly why we did this Q&A. A lot of people, of course, are familiar with what a director does in rehearsals, uh, but particularly with Shakespeare, uh, it's really fascinating and amazing how much a dramaturg can bring to the process. Uh, especially, you know, again, with this language that there's so much to be mined from it. There's so much in the language in terms of meaning and evolution of meaning and double meaning and context of the play and, and writing and all this kind of stuff that there's it, it really just for lack of time, can the director afford to go over all of this stuff? Uh, and often they themselves might not be trained in, in this area. So, you know, having a, a dramaturg has been really helpful for the workshops. Gideon first got involved when we were doing the online readings in the spring of Much Ado About Nothing and The Merry Wives of Windsor. And then he's been part of the workshops uh, in June, August, and now October. And uh, in October, we're working on Troilus and Cressida and King Lear. And, uh, you know, if you're attending the rehearsals or, you know, if you were to talk to the actors, I'm sure, you know, they would all attest to how much uh, Gideon brings and just in terms of their knowledge and understanding of the scene. And uh, as we talk about, it's really collaborative that, you know, Gideon is working in tandem with the actors and the director to, you know, create that vision of, of the scene and, and really above all to make sure that uh, the meaning is clear. You know, that's that's really what his job is. So we had a great, uh, you know, Q&A session with Gideon. Uh, and actually, one of the actors from King Lear from the scene uh, had a couple more questions. So you hear Gideon working in real time with somebody, you know, answering some questions, helping them understand things. Uh, and, and it's just really wonderful. So um, I hope you really enjoy this uh, conversation. And as we mentioned, uh, if you're part of the workshop, you know, definitely continue attending the rehearsals, uh, but also we'll have final performances of the two scenes uh, the last week of October. That is going to be Tuesday, October 27th, and Wednesday, October 28th, uh, both at 5 p.m. Pacific. Tuesday is Troilus and Cressida. Wednesday is King Lear. Uh, really hope you can make them. They're both just $5 each. Uh, some really fantastic actors, excellent work, uh, definitely, uh, you'll learn something and, and take something away about, you know, working on these scenes. Uh, and, uh, even if you're not an actor, I'm sure you will just enjoy the performances. Cause again, we have some really fantastic, excellent actors, uh, uh, you know, directors, people who have worked all over the country at major regional theaters doing Shakespeare. So it's just a really world class, uh, first rate group of people. So that's it. Uh, I will, uh, leave it at that and, uh, hope you enjoy this chat with Gideon Rappaport. You know, Gideon and I were just talking about uh, the rehearsal for Troilus and Cressida last night, and it's to share with you guys, it, it's really wonderful to see, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where you can't help but smile when you're watching other people smile, that kind of thing. Like when you see the actors are having fun, like it's just, it, it just becomes more fun for you. And, and I mean, I, I would imagine Gideon, that's a bit your experience. Like you can see it's enjoyable for you because you see the actors having fun. Absolutely. And, 
And it's the kind of fun I want them to have, which is um, digging into the text and figuring out what it means. Dakin Matthews gave a wonderful talk last week or two weeks ago mm-hmm. um, on all the rules that that he doesn't believe in in acting Shakespeare. Uh, it was a great long list of things, and I've, I've been recommending some of them, but the, the bottom line for him was it's all about the meaning. What 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 is the meaning of the line and how can we get it across? Um, and you break every rule in order to do that um, and make it clear. And um, that's absolutely right, and that's what I strive to do. And when we have time to work with the actors on getting that, on accomplishing that, it's a lot of fun for me. And yeah. what I found is... Um, when I'm on my game and showing them how the language works and what uh, what what the meaning of a line is or a phrase or a speech, how it's put together, it helps the actor uh, get that across, understanding the poetics of it, understanding the prosody, understanding you know the the senses of the words that's changed, and and then then they're then they really have fun too because then they know how to do it. And they can make it meaningful, and then right. the audience has. Right, right. So, I've I've often said that um, boring Shakespeare is a product of actors getting up on the stage, having memorized their lines, but imagining themselves dragging this huge sack of words along on their backs while they're emoting all over the place mm-hmm. and inventing emotion. And there is nothing more boring than Shakespeare done like that. Right. But if if you pin the actor to particular meaning, the particular meaning of every line, the actor discovers the character and then becomes the character. And of course, then gets applause. Um, so as I tell the actors, if you want the audience to mean their applause when they applaud for you, you better mean what you're saying when you're saying right. the Right. Well, and and I know, I know you know Armin Shimmerman, and and I've heard Armin describe it this way: that it's this combination of pathos, logos, and ethos. That you know, a lot of a lot of younger actors can just lead with that pathos, with just the emotion. Well, if I if I just show that I'm angry or in love, then then it'll be clear. But of course, there you know, you're missing out on on the logos, the 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 meaning and the logic of what Shakespeare has written. And and of course, if you just do that without the emotion, then it becomes dry and boring. And, Correct. Uh, and, yeah. and the ethos is also part of it because right. Shakespeare's vision is also a moral, um, spiritual vision. So it's it's all three. He's absolutely right about that. Right, and right. the problem for actors now is that generally, um, they when they're trained in modern theater or just go to the movies a lot, most of what they're seeing is emotional acting right sure and and you know that's that's most of how modern movies and plays are written so it's right Right. for them to be doing that but shakespeare's also very challenging at the level of reason and at the level of um of moral meaning so when you get them all going then it becomes truly great and and especially with um, you know film and TV, it's it's moments. That's how that medium is created. But filming right. little moments at a time, and of course Shakespeare is all about sustained thought and emotion and 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 all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a very different very different approach. Now, um, 
I, I wanted to kind of start at the top because for a lot of people, you know, coming to theater and, and certainly maybe even coming out of school or training, uh, the dramaturg might be a position they are totally unfamiliar with. They might not have encountered, uh, you know, in school. And so what do you feel like, the, you know, they're, they're just suddenly like on the first day of rehearsal, well, who is this person? What do they do? Like, what do you feel like you're responsible for uh, with a production just so people can have a better context? That's a great question. The The word comes from the German, and it originally just meant dramaturgos, meaning from the Greek, meaning a maker of plays. Um, but at, in our time, because classical theater is old um, and the context is so different and the meanings of words are different, um, a lot of work has to be done to get back to what the playwright means. Mm. Um, Otherwise, you're you're just guessing, and you know I give all kinds of examples. In Shakespeare, the word "still" means always. It doesn't mean right. continuing up through till now. It means always. Um, uh, jealousy can mean suspicion. So if you know that, if the actor knows that, the, the reading's going to be better. So, and directors who are really good know this stuff, um, and and when they have time, they don't need a dramaturg. But many, many directors don't have the time to do this kind of work with actors. Mm -hmm. And so they, they bring in a person like me to say, okay, let's read through their speech and see exactly what the context is. What are the references to? What are the meanings of words? How does the poetry work? Where's the, let's say, antithesis is fundamental to all right. Shakespearean drama. So where... Where's the antithesis in the line? Where's the antithesis in the speech? <clears throat> and, um, and you know, figures of speech like um, chiasmus, for example, where if I'm working on Richard II, I'll have a whole talk about how there's a chiasmus at the center point of the play. A chiasmus is an ABBA structure, a mirror image structure. And at the center of that play, Richard II, uh, he's asked, are you contented to resign the crown? And Richard says, I, no, no, I, for I must nothing be, therefore no, no, for I resign to thee. So he says, yes, no, no, yes, which is also a pun on I know of no self because I'm not a king anymore. Mm. Um, and that chiasmus, from the Greek letter chai, which is an X, is the turning point of the play, and the whole play is a chiasma. So the mm -hmm. whole play is about Richard falling and Bolingbroke rising. Wow. And where they cross is when the crown changes hands, and it's in the form of a, of a figure of speech. Wow. So the play is built on the figure of speech and the moment is. Um, and when actors find that out, it's thrilling because they right. they can see how that moment fits into the whole structure of the play. Right, right. Romeo and Juliet is all about oxymorons. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. There, there's a whole long speech of Romeo and oxymorons. There's a whole long speech of Juliet. Um, and it's all about love and death. Hmm. The, these great, huge opposites and about about love and and the war between the families. So that's, those are big examples of how Shakespeare expands a um, figure of speech to structure a play. But in any one line, there may be, you know, 20 different little kinds of um, 
figures of speech. Oh my God. A horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. In my book, I list, I think, 12 or 14 figures of speech that that line embodies. And of course, he doesn't mean the actor to be thinking, oh, I've got to do these 20 figures of speech. He, he's using that as a technique because he knows it works on the empathic response of the audience. Mm. But when an actor knows that structure, he, can, he or she can bring out uh, the meaning of the phrase or the, the line. Right. And then, then it's very satisfying. And then the actor says, oh, thank you. I didn't realize that. That's great. And then they absorb it. And right. They may forget it, but they use it. Right. And, 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 you know, as you were talking about it, it can be so fascinating. Some of it becomes more of just discussion, but, you know, understanding the context uh, of the play, of why the play may have been written, the context of the Elizabethan society at the time, you know, certainly understanding, you know, whether it's for the Scottish play or, or Richard III, where you're talking about death and spirits and ghosts and all this kind of stuff that, you know, how and heaven and hell and how much, and how seriously people took that, you know, uh, at the time, I think all of that stuff, which an actor just may not know uh, coming to the Correct. play. Uh, Correct. It's really there, helpful. there will be, uh, there will be many places uh, when Shakespeare has a, a four word set of phrases. And if you know that the, that there are four elements, earth, air, fire, and water in the, in the medieval and Renaissance worldview, mm -hmm. that everything's made up of those four things inherited from a classical idea. Um, then you can see when, when Lear's on the heath and saying blow winds <clears throat> and spout you hurricanos and so on, he's going through all the four elements. Um, and that, that helps the actor organize those great long speeches. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I'll quote a professor of mine who is a pretty well-known American poet named J.V. Cunningham. He taught Shakespeare, among other things, at my school. And he said, um, if you want to know what Shakespeare thought about ghosts, read everything said about ghosts in Hamlet and believe it. <laughs> what, did, what did they believe about ghosts? Well, they believed all these things. Right. So... Um, that was in keeping with his dictum, which is that for in Shakespeare, foreground is background. Shakespeare will tell you almost everything you need to right. know to understand the context, but you've got to know that he's telling you that. So he'll talk about the humors um, or the humorous man. What does that mean? Well, there are four uh, substances or spirits in human beings called humors. And if you know what they are, blood, phlegm, black bile, yellow bile, and what they, what they correspond to, what they do to our psyche, mm -hmm. uh, a, a lot comes clear in the speech or even in characters. Well, you know, and you just mentioned Hamlet. We were talking about, you know, that maybe it's an example of the chiasmus that, um, but the very opening lines of uh, Hamlet where, uh, let's see, it's Bernard, uh, Bernardo who's on watch and he says, who's there? And Francisco says, no, you tell me who's there. And it's just like, it's the guy who's not on watch is demanding an answer. So you just immediately have this reversal and, and inversion. And of course, because they're both terrified of running into a ghost. Uh, right, that's absolutely right. And it creates the mood that Shakespeare wants to there. Right. It also starts the uh, play with a question, 
Right. And the play is filled with questions. And it also starts to play with a lot of orders. Stand yeah. and unfold yourself. Right. And and and, first, and 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 at the end you get go bid the soldiers shoot. And all the way through the play, there are all these imperatives that everybody's right. giving to everybody else. And and it's just you know, it can be so helpful, you know, for the director, for the actors to know that's how the very opening lines of the place that like we have this inversion something is off and so that and you know by everybody knowing that it could inform the set it could inform the lighting you know the acting obviously all this kind of stuff that uh, you know to really kind of get across to an audience that it's not just two guys going hey you know who's there no you tell you know it's like no there's a there's a moment shakespeare has created and and that's and in fact if you watch if you look at the words in that scene as the scene unfolds in the first 30 lines or so um, one of them says, what has this thing appeared? And then the next line is an apparition. And then it's a ghost. And then it's a ghost that looks like the former king. So there's a succession of, of words from the most general word, which is thing, to much more specific. <clears throat> All of them building this sense that, that um, they, they're terrified of the appearance right, of the right. And, and of course, that, that scene's another great example. And, and later when Hamlet joins them of, you know, remembering they did all these plays in the middle of the day, but Shakespeare used his words to tell the audience that it was dark as night and you couldn't see, you know, very far and all this kind of stuff. So, so just understanding like, right. Every, like everything is in the words that's right there, but to, to, to highlight that for the actors, I think can be really helpful that it's yes, right there. It's, it's so valuable to know that because an actor doesn't have to work so hard. So mm. in that same scene, or no, it's at the end when Hamlet says, you, tre you tremble and look pale. Or somebody mm. says right, to right, Horatio, right. Yeah. you tremble and look pale. And so the actor playing Horatio probably can tremble, but it may be <laughs> difficult for him to make himself look pale suddenly. Right. But have to because the character has said it right and once it's said we get it so that yeah. i remind people that and and in this medium it's particularly valuable to remember that people went to hear a play yep. in shakespeare's day rather than see yep. so they spent a lot of money on costumes and they did what they could with sets but uh, the main medium of the time was hearing the speech right uh, right and if you if you've mastered that then the rest just can follow along and be fine. Mm -hmm. um, now, um, Maggie uh, asked a question, you know, she was curious because part of our workshops, you know, you've been sitting in as part of the rehearsals, uh, you know, largely, you know, there the entire time, but she was just curious, is that, is that the norm for most rehearsals or is it, is it, you're just pulling actors aside? Like, how does it usually work? Let me, I'll, I will say that it completely depends on the director. If the director is secure in his or her own <laughs> shoes, yep. um, he or she will welcome me to the production, have me talk to the actors at the beginning. First, we'll talk, and I'll find out what the vision of the production is so that I don't do anything that undermines the director, and I never want to do that. Um, and then he'll invite me to speak the first day or go through the text. And then... What will happen generally is after it gets on its feet and starts moving, I will hear things, I will make notes, and I will give notes to the director for the actors. Or he may say, um, can you pull so-and-so aside and work on this speech or this 
character or this whatever the actor may need, and I will do that. Um, and I'll be there as much as I'm permitted to until tech week, and then I clock out because it's unbearable to sit there. <laughs> for it. Uh, but then I come back for, for uh, dress rehearsals and mm -hmm. last rehearsals and give notes either directly to the actors if the director wants me to or to the director who passes them on. And in this way, I can help keep people honest about the text. One of my, my big things is don't memorize your speeches until we've worked, until you've understood them, because it's much harder to unmemorize and rememorize a mistake than it is to get it right in the first place. So I like to be there at the very beginning and just clarify errors and whatever stresses pronunciation. Sure, sure. Um, but it's a it's always a symbiote. I mean, obviously it's a it's a a um, medium that requires collaboration. Right. And it's always a symbiotic relation between the director and the dramaturg. And I mean, I've been thrilled with our productions online mm -hmm. here because sure. the directors are so grateful to me and welcoming and I can I can feel free to make suggestions and then withdraw them if they, they don't want to do it but um, so it so it feels really nice it feels really nice to have, be able to have these conversations well there and, are directors yeah. who are much more sensitive mm -hmm. and they will they will say okay come in and speak about this and then go away I don't want <laughs> And that's fine too. I'll do. Right. You know, I, I want to adjust to how the director sees the production. Well, what I've what I've enjoyed is, you know, a lot of the time I feel like it's presented uh, by you as options. You know, here's what you can do. Here's what you can do. Um, here's what I believe the text is saying. But ultimately, it's you're the one out there. So yes, that's you know, absolutely <laughs> that's right. And th there are two things to say. One is that um, I don't. Like most directors, I don't like to give readings. I will do it from sure. time to time, and I will forget because it seems so obvious to me. But generally, I don't like to give readings. I like to just say, try hitting this stressed word instead of that pronoun, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then the actor gets it. And the great thing is when the actor does that, suddenly it's, aha, that's, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's what it really means. And so I don't have to argue. It's like right, <laughs> right, right. it becomes self-evident. Um, but um, it's also true that that um, the actors, it's the actors took us up there on the line, right? Yeah, if yeah. something goes wrong, it's the actor going to take the heat, and if yeah. it's great, the actor is going to get the applause. Right. So I'm I'm I, I want to give as much clarity about meaning as possible, but finally the actors got to feel. Uh, um, what's the word, buy-in or engagement mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. however he or she is doing that line. And I have to let, I have to let that happen. Now, sometimes actors will say, ah, I keep doing that. I don't mean to. I really want to do this. Right. And then I will keep them honest by saying, you told me that you wanted to do it like this. Sure, so sure. Thank you, thank you. Right. But uh, there are times when, like, Tony is, you know, uh, very assured about saying no. I know it's wrong, but we have to do it <laughs> so people can understand it. And, uh, right. Okay. Fine. Yeah, yeah. 
you're you're the you're the one playing Lear, not me. Right. I mean, it's almost like uh, you know, I've done productions where you have an accent coach listening, and they're like, you know, this vowel was, you know, you you flattened it, or or it went to yeah. American, or it went to, you know, you you need somebody listening, uh, you know, or I think it can be very helpful to have somebody listening. Um, you know, it's funny. Yeah, our, you've our, heard me many times say the word is to, not to. Right. Right. Well, you know, I I remember. Um, once when I was in London seeing a play at Shakespeare's Globe and in the program, uh, this might've been, you know, or this was quite a while ago, but the director was listed as master of the play, which is, you know, a very grand title, but it, it seems almost like something that you could assign to the dramaturg as well, that somebody who really needs to know the whole play backwards and forwards, you know, inside and out. Um, yeah. That was the, originally in Shakespeare's time it was the master of the book. They didn't have directors. Everybody right. knew what they were doing, but they had a master of the book. So the book was the, the the script of the play with all the entrances and exits and sometimes players' names and what props had to be brought on and stuff like that. And um, and he would sit there with the book watching the play and make sure that people knew where they were because most of the actors got only what we still call sides, which mm, is... Right. Just the lines, their lines with the cue lines without the whole play. So they weren't working from a script of the whole play, but the master of the book had had it all together. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. They refer to him. Now, it was a technical job. It wasn't an artistic directorial job or even a dramaturgical job. It was mm. just, you know, now you come in with a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, Script supervisor, I think they call it on, on film sets. It's uh, just somebody right. going like, no, 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 that doesn't happen here. That you doesn't happen later. here. Yeah. We blocked it like that. Right, right. So the assistant stage manager will do that. Or the yeah, stage yeah, yeah. But I would love to be the master of the play in the sense that I could say, you know, um, th this scene has to be played more like this. And and here's the meaning of this, sure. you know, counter counterplay. And so do it like that. And have them do it, but I'm not the director, so I can't. Do yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Now you you, you mentioned uh, pronouns, which uh, a lot of actors uh, love their pronouns, and they carry that work into Shakespeare, and they they want to stress him and her and you, and uh, you know you call a lot of actors on that. Could you speak a little bit about why you point that out to actors? Yes. So. Um, Generally, I will say, don't hit the pronouns. Dakin Matthews says there are no such rules, just make the meaning clear. Sure. The problem is with modern actors trained in the modern theater that um, they have a limited uh, script. It's not a poetic script very often. It's a very kind of familiar everyday language script. And they have to do a lot of subtext presenting. Uh, and so they are constantly having to discover, you know, what the mood is, what the emotion is, how, what they want to stress. And very often actors will hit pronouns because it's an easy way to create a, what I would call false drama. Mm. You said that to him? <laughs> Rather than you admitted that to him? Right, right. So admitted is the key word there. Sure. And it, it carries the punch. But if I say you admitted that to him, admitted is lost. Right. And we've just got you him. So if you have the whole play where nothing is stressed but pronouns, 
it becomes a crashing bore. It's all these fake little bits of pseudo drama. Mm-hmm. But the real drama, the real antithesis and the real uh, conflict within the lines and in the speeches is lost. So I will say don't hit the pronouns. However, there are many times, and we're seeing it in the scenes we're doing, where the pronouns are the point. Mm. That is an anti- antithesis of two pronouns. Right. Where it is the point, and then you have to hit them, otherwise it doesn't make sense. Right. So again, ultimately, it's in the name of meaning. But where actors are stressing pronouns where I think they shouldn't, it's because they're substituting um, a pseudo-drama, a pseudo-dramatic emotional moment, bit, mm-hmm. tiny mm-hmm. moment, for the real thrust of the meaning of the line. And what I try to do is show them where that real thrust is. And when they get it, it's liberating. It's, it's because, as I repeat over and over, Shakespeare supports his actors really well. Right. If you get what he's doing, you don't have to work so hard. Mm-hmm. You don't have to mm-hmm. invent these little mini dramas because right. the drama right. is there already in the key words. Yep. Now, uh, one of our actors uh, for the workshop, Maggie, is uh, here, and she wanted to ask uh, a question about Lear. And so, Maggie, I've taken, I've opened up your your mic. Uh, okay. We can hear you. So, yeah, yeah, go ahead. One of the places was um, <clears throat> when um, it's it's when she first says to him, "You know, you're old. Um, you need guidance. Go, please, go back to um, my sister." And in the, her, she says, uh, I'll just say it all real straight. Say you have wronged her, sir. Um, and is that one of the times when the you could be um, emphasized, number one, because I think it's in the meter? Say you have wronged her, sir. And, I, and possibly he did that on purpose because it, he's, she's kind of saying, you know, you're in the wrong here. But, or is it better to just keep the emphasis on wronged? Well, first of all, uh, wronged her sir is only in the quarto. Okay. Um, it's not in the folio. Say you have wronged her, ask her forgiveness. Say you have wronged her sir, ask her forgiveness. So they probably, it was probably, I mean, I don't know, who knows? It was probably put in to fit the meter. But oh. um, it's not necessarily a stress on you. And the okay. reason I say so is that um, Shakespeare will sometimes start a line with a trochee instead of an ion. Yeah. And what that does is it puts the stress on the fourth syllable. So what I want you to do just right now is okay. say it the way you were saying it, and then say it with the stress on wronged and see what it feels like. Yeah, okay. Well, I was actually trying to do, oh, um, um, say you have wronged her, sir, as opposed to say you have wronged her, sir. Yes. Okay. Now, which do you think feels more like Regan? Or let me ask it as a question, yeah. a different question. Why would you be stressing the you? Are we talking about anybody else but Lear? Well, be, I would say, just for the sake of argument, it's Lear has put everything on Goneril, and and she's trying, and the, I see that there's a case to be made for saying to him, no, it isn't just, I just showed you, you if it's about the, 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 the knights and the problems they caused, 
there's a, there, she does, she's not to be blamed. So perhaps I, you I, should be. I get what you're saying. It, yeah. It is under there. But what's the last time we heard, we thought about Goneril in this speech? Where's the last time Goneril's been even? Yeah, gone? you're right. She's very, she's gone away from that, you're saying. Yes. It's not gone. So my curse is on her was the last thing we heard. So we don't have in our minds this direct antithesis. Okay. She has wronged me. Say you have wronged her. Okay, it's good. There. It's there. I don't want to say it's not there. But to for a daughter to tell her father that he ought to apologize to her sister when it's clear to us that, that the sister has misbehaved to the father. Um, I think that the... the the sentence gets more power if you put it on wrong. Okay. However, I'm going to say to you, you try it both ways, and you figure out um, which feels right to you. Okay. Uh, but the, the key is not to force it. So don't, don't, if you feel that you have to push that you so hard in order to get us back to six or eight lines earlier for the meaning to come across, it's probably not a good idea to do that work. Yeah. Uh, I, the thing is, I was, uh, when I was first doing it, I was not putting any emphasis on you. I was, I was keeping with the wronged. Um, but then I started, you know, playing with it and, all, and the, the meter stuff. I didn't quite understand. You know, you said that there's a reason to not um, think that the you is being emphasized in that meter. But right. it, was also, it was also because... She's pointing out to him, you know, you're an older person and you, there are some, there's some case to be made for you making some mistakes, even without thinking specifically of Goneril. But I, but I don't care either way. I'm just, I'm looking for, but All like right. you said, I'll try it. I'll play with it. Somehow. I want to read Lear's speech. Okay. And I want to read it to you hitting the pronouns and I want you to compare it to what it sounds like and I don't hit the pronouns. So you have said, let's say Regan says, say you have wronged her. Okay. Ask her forgiveness? Do you but mark how this becomes the house. Dear daughter, I confess that I am old. Age is unnecessary. On my knees, I beg that you'll vouchsafe me raiment, bed, and food. Yeah, well, of course, when you do them all, it's It's, it's unbearable. Now, <laughs> Listen, listen again. Okay. <clears throat> you say, Regan says, say you have wronged her. Ask her forgiveness. Mm -hmm. That's what it, saying you've wronged yes. her. Yes. Do you but mark how this becomes the house. Dear daughter, I confess that I am old. Age is unnecessary. On my knees, I beg that you'll vouchsafe me raiment, bed, and food. Mm -hmm. Okay, th this is, he's, He's playing at this, but this is the outrage to have to beg your daughter for raiment, bed, and food. Absolutely. In other words, it's it's all about meaning. So, what is the intended meaning of the path of the exchange? Mm -hmm. it, it, it and and more um, well, a little bit kind of. It's less the emphasis on the personality, even though personality has. Some, I think that's when it, you, somebody brought, uh, maybe you brought, we brought up how modern actors do it. And I think that's because there's a modern ethic that puts so much emphasis on the value of the individual, which is a good 
thing, yeah. but to the detriment then, like you say, of some of the other important issues you that are going on. You couldn't be more right. You couldn't be more right. And when Nathan said before about quoting uh, Armin, the, the, um, the idea of logos and ethos as well as pathos, the ethos of this is a complete reversal of the order of nature and the order of the universe. Regan is overturning the order of nature in her relation to her father, and she's asking him to do to to agree to that overturning by asking Goneril forgiveness, and then he dramatizes how ridiculous that is, so that there, there's this whole overturning of the of the values of the society that, that are assumed by the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're absolutely right that if you if you emphasize only the personalities and therefore only the pronouns, you've lost that whole thrust of the, of the meaning of this overturning of the ethos. Right, right. Um, another question I had about the use of uh, sir, <clears throat> um, is, there, is there a significance to her continually saying, oh, sir, this, sir, that, rather than father? I, I don't um, know whether that's an issue or not. Of course. I mean Okay, so it's much more for I mean it's like there's a there's a formality there. It's a, a, it's it's somewhere between absolute formality which would be your highness. Okay. And total familiarity which would be papa or Okay, that helps. or father. Um to this day the queen is called mum by the people speaking to her. They don't really? say, they don't generally say your majesty. I suppose in formal occasions of course they do, but when you're introduced to the queen, you say, yes, mum. It's uh, yes, mum. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not so formal um, as she could be. But you're absolutely right that it is more formal than, than um, Dad. what she might say. <laughs> so she starts by saying, I am glad to see your highness. Yes. That's line 129. Yeah. And then good. she says, I pray you, sir. So that's already demoting him from highness to you know just a, just a, a lord but would it have been would it have been i don't know how to say it. it's like would a daughter have continually addressed her father as highness no okay it wouldn't <clears throat> no but she starts that way because right. it's a formal greeting yes okay then she comes uh-huh. down from that all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in because I know we could talk. I, what I love is we can talk yeah. at length over yeah, just two lines, but uh, mm-hmm. the, and there's so much more we could talk about. But um, okay, and, good, good. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much for the for the questions, Maggie. Really appreciate it. Um, so, and and for those who are interested, uh, you can either you know if you're if you're part of the workshop, uh, sit in on the lay rehearsals and, and see more of that, uh, or uh, you can come to the final presentation of the scene, uh, and, and I'm sure that'll be a lot of fun. Um, now, now, Gideon, I, I just had a couple other uh, uh, short questions or, or, you know, maybe I don't know if there's direct answers, but, um, is, you know, now that we, we, you know, in these workshops, we have actors who've been doing this for decades and some actors who are, you know, maybe a little bit newer to this, they have maybe some experience with it. Do, do you feel like there's something that you notice that older actors are able to do with a little bit more speed or efficiency where younger actors have challenges and and if if those younger actors could overcome that hurdle 
they would be working at a higher level? Is, is there something that you you notice? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's a specific hurdle, but it is mm-hmm. the, the aggregate um, force of experience. Sure. So when when um, when I'm working with an actor like Sapna, for example, mm-hmm. um, I make a suggestion and she takes it, and then there there the next line there might be some fuzziness, mm-hmm. um, and then. I make a suggestion about that, and then she takes that, and it, right. over time it gets better. With with the more experienced actors, you can make a suggestion about one spot, and they see the implication for the character and for the tone of the whole thing. Mm. I, I had a great art teacher um, who used to say, if you change any brush stroke in a painting, you have to repaint the whole painting. It changes mm. everything. Wow. That is, every little detail changes the relation of the whole. And so the more experienced you are as an actor, the more you have a sense, a knack, sure. which is what Shakespeare had, a knack of the of the feel of the thing, of the, of the meaning of the whole. And, and then you're constantly making these subtle adjustments, even in response to, you know, a, a change in one particular phrase. Whereas the younger actors, they're still, they're still building the performance mm-hmm. out of mm-hmm. all of these parts right well and um, yeah whole isn't necessarily there yet and of course in some it's already there and they're much they're just better they're right they're ahead of the game well and it and it it also brings up the point about uh the kind of lack of ego around notes um yes that uh you know i i think in general um and and i i can attest to this if you're you know sitting around at the end of rehearsal it's the older actors that almost say nothing when they get notes. It's the younger actors that need to pipe up and defend or explain, well, this is why I did it this way. And this is, and, and it's just like, it doesn't matter. Just take the note and do that. You know, <laughs> that's, that's if they trust the director. Right. The director. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and if, if the, if the older uh, and more experienced actors want to fight for something. Sure. Yeah. They will. They will come back not saying, oh, I don't agree, or that doesn't feel right. They will come back saying, well, what I was aiming for was this. Right, right. And then the director says, oh, that's interesting. Maybe that's right. Mm-hmm. Or he'll say, I get what you're doing, but I want it like this. And then, sure, they, sure. then they'll do it because they're capable of doing it however he wants them to. Right, right, right. That's right. Having great. Exactly. That's the gift of the actor is to be able to to make real the, the director's vision um, and Shakespeare's vision. And it, but, it, there, yeah. you know, I, there are there are moments when there's there are bits of friction like that. But if, sure. in the best actors, young or old, it's not about ego. So right. one of the most important things to know as an actor is that you don't exist in this play in order to win applause at the end and be loved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exist to be a medium like any musician of the composer's art. You exist to be a character that gets across the meaning of the play. Mm -hmm. And you have in a sense as an ego to disappear. And the greatest actors who earn the greatest applause are the ones who most completely disappear into the role and make the role absolutely believable and real and present and alive. And then, of course, they're loved. Right, <laughs> it's a right. byproduct. But if you go on stage trying to earn love from the audience by 
imposing your ego on whatever is happening. Uh, all it does is just make the audience feel, well, that guy's showing off. <laughs> and it's getting in my way of the play. Right. So it's a, it's a constant... Um, it's a constant give and take. The, the actor must be constantly surrendering his ego to what's right. Mm -hmm. And the dramaturg also has not to be, or the director has not to be just a tyrant and imposing a will when he's, when he's not right. He's got right. to listen and sense where the actor is and what the actor can do and what the actor um, um, imagines he can do and foster that. So it's it's always a collaborative thing. It's always a give and take at its best. At its worst, it can be very painful for yes. every a, a resistant actor is painful for a director, and a and a tyrannical director is painful for an actor. But we have not seen that in our production. No, we've been we've been very fortunate. Everybody's been very collaborative. It's good. Just not uh, the best people going. Yeah. So. Um, now uh, I, I wanted to. Uh, Finally mentioned, you have a book called A Shakespeare Companion for Students. Uh, is that out now, or, or when will it be out? Not out. I'm looking for a publisher. Okay. If anybody knows a publisher who wants to see the proposal, let me know. Okay, perfect. Um, I'm, trying to get it, I'm trying to get it uh, proposals into publishers and get it read so that uh, we can find a a publisher for it. Yes. Oh, great. And, and, and actually, um, I, I posted an excerpt. Um, of your uh, chapter on uh, satire with, with Troilus and Cressida since we're working on that. So um, people can uh, can check out uh, a little bit more about that play because it's certainly, for, I think, for most people, an um, unknown or underappreciated play so they can just get a little bit more understanding of uh, what Shakespeare was doing there and then come uh, watch the scene. So uh, it's cool. unique. It's unique in Shakespeare's uh, works because mm. it's the only formal satire and it's not even an exact kind of satire. Um, so people have misunderstood it. So I tried in my little essay to make clear how we're to see the play. And I think it helps get the overall picture. And uh, once you get that, you realize it's a very great play. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it is really funny that the way he just lampoons a lot of the you know, Hector and, and you, you know, Achilles and um, Ulysses, you know, just, just, a, and I mean, there's some amazingly dense language, some really, really interesting. I mean, it, you know, it's the kind of play that you, you see the monologues and you're like, boy, that would make a great audition piece if I can crack it because I'm sure nobody hears this. Right. And it's also, <laughs> a very timely play because it's about the collapse of civilization mm. and it's what it's what it looks like when civilization falls apart right yeah, as we as we talked about that those kind of parallels to julius caesar of what happens when everybody takes the you know the the law in their own hands and and that kind yeah. of stuff and and makes decisions uh for the uh, quote good of the people good of the society um well great uh gideon thanks so much for for chatting i mean i know we could chat for another hour or two um, on, on any two lines in Shakespeare. But uh, yeah. this has been uh, really, really wonderful. And, and so thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, my pleasure. All right, so this is Nathan one more time again. Really hope you enjoyed that chat with Gideon. Uh, and as he mentioned at the end, if you or you know someone who is uh, in the publishing business and want to help spread uh, Gideon's work even further, definitely get in touch with them. 
uh, or get in touch with me and I can certainly forward uh, that information along to help his book get published. Uh, And again, one more quick reminder, uh, you can attend the final scene presentations the last week of October. October 27th is Troilus and Cressida at 5 p.m. Pacific and Wednesday, October 28th is King Lear at 5 p.m. Pacific. We got uh, James Newcomb directing Troyes and Cressida with Ross Helwig, Sapna Kumar, and Marcella Toubert. And King Lear, we got uh, Jeffrey Wade directing with Tony Amendola as Lear, a party played at Utah Shakespeare, Elizabeth Dennehy as Goneril, and uh, Maggie Belter as uh, Regan. So, uh, yeah, both great scenes, each only $5. Uh, there are links, uh, you know, in the show notes and episode description, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, tickets are on sale now, uh, all virtual. And, uh, yeah, hope to uh, see you there. Hope you're uh, doing well. Hope you really, again, enjoyed this conversation with Gideon as a uh, dramaturg. And, and hopefully, uh, perhaps the next time, either you have uh, a monologue to work on or in, or in rehearsals uh, and, and you have some sway or influence, you know, maybe encouraging people to include a, direct, a dramaturg in the process uh, or just seek one out on your own because it's only going to advance your work and your understanding of what you're doing and make it that much more enjoyable uh, and clear for the audience. So that is it. Hope you're doing well. My name is Nathan Agan and enjoy the journey. <laughs>